Good morning, everyone. It's Friday, and uh, I've got Frank the Tank across from me. Frank, how are you? Great. And uh, we have with us a super close friend of ours, huge Kafaro supporter, uh, ODA team member, badass, and uh, the body of a Greek god, Lance Banning. <laughs> I don't know about that body of a Greek god anymore. I'm almost 35. He does have a receding hairline, though. And the voice of, <laughs> of Elton John. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> What's going on, man? It's like the first time I heard the Beatles. Not a lot. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. The reason I reached out to you guys, obviously, is I got some crazy... We can cuss, right? You can cuss as much as you want. We got some crazy shit going on. Uh, I'm skiing 40 miles at the end of March. I don't know how to ski, so I got a <laughs> steep learning curve ahead of me, but it's all for a good uh, good cause. It's We're trying to raise money for the Special Forces Foundation, which is a nonprofit, obviously, 501c3. It was established in 2017 uh, just due to the needs where other organizations were kind of stuff in their own pockets, if you will, a little bit more than what we'd like to see as Green Berets. So to date, we've given back over $300,000 to Gold Star families. For those of you who don't know what a Gold Star family is, that means their loved one, their service member was killed in in war, basically. Some of these guys have kids, some of them single mothers, but uh, yeah, when that happens, lives change and literally in the blink of an eye and that's usually when there's kids involved that's always a soft spot for me uh so yeah well and i don't think people understand that um especially for what you do um in the military when you're on a tier one group you're not back training and and even i think people think we're not still at war i guess is what i'm saying and you just got back from a deployment and there's still a lot of things going on all over the world that uh, specifically tier one groups are involved in. And so uh, there is still a lot of casualties uh, today going on every day that I don't think people probably realize because it's not uh, the big army or, uh, you know, not covered by mainstream media. Media. Yeah, exactly. So um, definitely a good cause. And so before Lance goes kind of through his spiel of here, here of how to to donate it, it, if if Frank and I have ever saved you any money or anything, uh, please hop on and donate to this. It's very important to to Frank and I as well as Lance. Obviously, it would mean a lot to us. So, it's Christmas. Hop over, hop on, or it's or it's the holiday season, and donate a fuck ton of money to this cause uh, for Frank and I. Uh, that would mean a lot to us. So, Lance, what what do they got to do to to donate? Yeah, we got a couple ways of doing it. You can hop online if it's a big donation or there's a text code set up and it's uh, the text code is OG20, OG20 to text code 41444. And I'm not even familiar with how all that shit works. I just know it's kind of like magic and you guys have a hell of an outreach. So if you, everybody just hops on and gives a dollar, every dollar, every dollar counts. So I think we just tested it Aaron texted that number on his phone and it sends you a link so it's 41444 so text that and then the text message will actually be OG20 so the number is 4144 the code is OG20 and that pops up a link you click on the link and then you follow that through to donate 
Sweet. Yeah, so that, uh, that so people know it doesn't charge you then. So you can decide it's just going to be a standard text message. Yeah, right. yeah. The text message doesn't charge you. You choose once you follow the link. Right. And Gary Garza is the guy who started up the Special Forces Foundation. And uh, talking with him, it's always kind of been a dream of mine. It's just due to a lack of time uh, getting Gold Star kids outdoors. And this year I had the first opportunity. Uh, my buddy who was killed, Sergeant Major Ryan Sarter, he has a 16-year-old son who he's taken hunting before, and his dream, you know, obviously is to kill a bull with a bow. Just coming back during archery season, I don't have time, you know, to archery hunt. I've been gone the majority of the last two years, so I told my wife I'd just kill shit with a rifle, essentially, till time slows down a little bit. But I was able to convince him to do it with a rifle, and we got out and got him his first bull. And Gary's going to allow me to start up my own division underneath the Special Forces Foundation to get like kind of a package together for these Gold Star kids. Because when you acquire, you know, he had three kids himself. Uh, that's kind of, It's kind of an expensive hobby, and I only have so much extra gear right now, you know. <laughs> like when I go out and I take Nicole, my extra set of binoculars, Nicole obviously thinks those are hers. So, <laughs> so Strider has no binoculars. So I'm like trying to point elk out to him and then just. just t- That name is badass and loan to donate. Strider, that's <laughs> off of Lord of the Rings. That's, that, remember? No. Strider the Ranger? Uh, I wonder if that's where he got his name. I have no idea. Uh, Strider the Ranger. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, he's uh, the one, he's the king. Anyway, go ahead. He, he's a good kid. He's, uh, he's had to grow up a lot faster than most kids have to nowadays, but. They're doing well. No, that's good. So um, as far as, is there a website for online? You want to say, kick that over one more time? Uh, so Special Forces Foundation, uh, I believe it's just a .com. Maybe if you Google it. I will check that It's going to pop up, and there's there's ways you can donate to the families, the, survive, the Gold Star families from the guys we lost on this last one. Uh, yeah, everybody, we lost a lot of heavy hitters this time, you know, guys with multiple years of service in. Uh, older families, lots of kids. So the support is, we're definitely in need of support. Gotcha. So you, um, before we start talking about hunting and uh, making fun of each other, didn't you just run some crazy ass race with like 40 pound body armor on? I don't know. I wouldn't call it crazy. What's crazy you were wearing body armor. So here's the thing. (laughs) I'm in Afghanistan (laughs) and by this time the, the numbers are starting to add up, you know, and I've becoming familiar with the special forces foundation at this point so i texted my wife who's i mean awesome in regards to supporting my crazy ass ideas i was like hey i don't like doing shit that normal people do obviously it's kind of in my nature and what i've done for a living for the last 16 years but uh i just texted her hey what if, uh, can you reach out to these people, see if we can like secure a booth for the Special Forces Foundation if I agree to run this marathon in, in body armor? So she reached out, and this guy with Centura Orthopedics Group, they were the main sponsor of that, that event, he, he knew nothing about this, knew nothing about what was going on overseas. But this guy, uh, Corey, he's been jumping through his ass just putting his own like fundraising events together and getting the special forces foundation this guy's outreach is huge obviously you know reaches out to multiple states in these big businesses that they're involved in like i said i don't know how all this stuff works but i'm learning and uh yeah ultimately the end goal for me is to just have this 
a nonprofit where I can take these Gold Star kids outdoors. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to raise money for that. So how, how did the run go? That was painful. Yeah. That was real fucking painful. <laughs> <laughs> what was the training? You didn't train much for it, did you? I walked 20 minutes with a weight vest on this morning, and I didn't like it. So, <laughs> Frank, when we're in Afghanistan, most of the time we're on these tiny-ass fobs. So at best, you have a treadmill if you want to put some put some miles on or just run laps around some tiny-ass fob out there. So forward operating base was a fob. Did you know that, Frank? Mm-hmm. Get the fuck out of here. Did you watch TV and learn that? Mm-hmm. Well, I, was, yeah, I wasn't in the military. <laughs> Um, I do talk in acronyms a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, what I was getting to, though, is he called me the other day or maybe it was yesterday the day before, and he's like, uh, he's like, I got this ski race coming up. I'm going to spend next week in Winter Park. I got to learn how to ski. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? One problem at a time, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. That's pretty funny. Yeah, so uh-huh. I was just like Googling shit, and I've always I've, – I've been interested in the endurance races for quite some time, but obviously – you know, when you weigh 200 plus pounds, you're not really built as an endurance athlete. So you really got to work at this shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, I don't know. How what, tall are you, by the way? I got fucked out of an inch, so I'm five foot 11. <laughs> what, uh, what, you were over 200 not too long ago, weren't you? Yeah, I actually, just two days ago, I stepped on the scale and it was 199.6 or some <laughs> shit. So I was pretty happy about dropping below 200 pounds. We, we just had this discussion of... Um, I, I got to start cutting a little bit of muscle because my cardio is not good. And, and Frank's been going ham. And so it's um, uh, massing season or what is it? Bulking season right now. I got to stop bulking. Um, and you, you're, you're a little bit shorter than I am and a little bit smaller frame. So you're definitely packing on some muscle. Do you know how much weight you lost in the run? No, I'm, I'd imagine it was all water <laughs> weight, but my knees felt it. You know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have even batted an eye at something like that, and I would have finished with a phenomenal time, but it took me five hours to <laughs> run slash jog walk 26.2 miles in body armor. How uh, how anybody, anybody do it with you? Yeah, I was able – well, before we redeployed, I had a lot more guys on board with it, but when push comes to shove, uh, I ended up running with two other guys. Gotcha. Oh, that's – yeah. I uh, I saw pictures on your, your Instagram, and I, I am not a runner, but just the fact – so – Having just RBA on me for a lot of uh, my a, a large portion of my younger life, I fucking hate body armor uh, <laughs> with a passion. And so I have that weight vest from Brute Force. Um, I just got their yeah. new one. And uh, Amy was laughing because I put that thing on and, you know, I was explaining to her, you know, the, the principles behind body armor and what it does. And and she was like, um, how, how does that? So just an example, what would you say you're, and you're, you're, you generally kit wise with body armor, your full out vest, what do you think you have on, um, on average for weight? I mean, when it's all kitted out with magazines, you're 60, 70 pounds easy, but I took all that shit off for the run. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Cause, um, yeah, I, obviously I didn't do what you did in the military, but I remember at times just in training, like guys are throwing arty simulators and you're thinking, you know, if this was real life, just fucking shoot me. This is so horrible because you've got to dive, get up, sprint, and you've been doing this for 16 years of your life. Well, it breaks a lot of people too. <laughs> you see a lot of these guys, you know, they start exercising that system, having bad backs. So, I mean, if you truly love the game, you got to you gotta do the right stuff to keep your body healthy and keep yourself in the game. Otherwise, you're just going to you're gonna fall away like the rest of them. How, uh, so you, have you been, how long have you been on an ODA team or when did you go through selections? 
Mm, I went to selection in 2008 after Afghan deployment with the 82nd. And I thought that was my last crazy deployment, but this last one was one for the books as well. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you, it was a lot easier before the family and kids came along and in your younger days when you don't think twice about the bullets flying around or the RPGs blowing up 10 <laughs> yards in front of you. But yeah, definitely think twice now a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. How old are you now again? Uh, I'll be 35 next month. See, Frank, it's catching up. It'll be up to you. See, when you hit my age, you're going to be all fucked up. Um, but, but that's one of my favorite quotes is, uh, you know, beware of a man in a profession that. Yeah. You know where I'm going <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah. Beware of a man, <laughs> an old man in a profession where men die young. Yeah, that's no shit. Um, and it is, that is definitely what you're doing is a game for the young. You don't find um, too many guys really over 35 uh, specifically that are still on the ground all the time. Um, how many guys, are you a senior in your unit? How many guys you got that are older than you? Actually, so now that I've taken a team sergeant position, it's it's kind of a hard pill to swallow, <laughs> but I'm the old man on the team. <laughs> I remember looking at my first team sergeant like, man, this motherfucker's old. <laughs> and now I'm that guy. <laughs> I know there's all kinds of shit being talked behind my back that I used to do the same thing to, but it is what it is. You got a pretty good team now. Oh, yeah. These guys are studs. Like, I took it over uh, on this last rotation, and, uh, yeah, I was, left in, I was left in a pretty good spot. These guys are solid. Oh, that's good. One thing I got to say, so Lance does not talk um, – and, and, and over like between him and Frank, there's not a lot of conversation going on. And we went on a hunt together and you were back there solo. F How long were you? Nine days by yourself? I don't know if it was that long. I think I made it about a week. But we came in on the tail end of it, and, and I got to say, Lance wouldn't shut up. It was actually quite comical. You were, that's the most I've ever seen you talk. Well, it's like that damn movie with Tom Hanks in it, you know, when he's talking about <laughs> volleyball. Wilson! Yeah. I think that's what I like to do just because I'm not that social butterfly. I like to just segregate myself, you know, and keep everything, really get my thoughts together before I start socializing with the rest of civilization. And again, I've thought about this stuff, too, because I am pretty interested in the psychological aspect of things, but... Technically, I've lived my whole adult life in secrecy, being told, you know, you can't talk about this, you can't talk about that. So, in sense, like, I've just realized, you know, most people that do bullshit don't have very much important shit to say. Yeah, yeah. I can't say I talk too much, so I'm probably, I fit in that crowd. I talk, I, I just talk all the time. It's not as bad as it used to be, I guess, but I, I, I generally... The conversations with Frank and I in the mountains are me talking for about 20 minutes and then Frank going, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but I, I think at least 50% of what you say has some context to it because I've met a ton of people throughout what I do for a living and being in, you know, trying to get into the hunting industry as well. There's a lot of people out there that appreciate, you know, you waste an air half the time. <laughs> they, they learn something from it. You, gotta, you try. I mean, if I had a, a choice, it's it's funny with uh, Amy knowing her at first. I didn't have a cell phone, no email, didn't talk to anybody, slept on a little Thermarest air mattress. She meets me 10 years later. And she's like, what in the fuck happened to you? She's like, what? She's like, I Googled your name. And I'm like, yeah, it's different a bit, like a lot different. And then we'll be at Walmart and someone will come up and want to take a selfie. And she's like, you didn't even own a fucking phone when I knew you. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, we'll get back to that point sometime in my life where I can go hide in the woods again. But it, it helps people and they like it. So. You know, it is what it is, but is that what you're planning on doing when you when you get out? Are you going to try and work in the outdoor industry? I know we'll probably hire you if you want a job. So 
Aaron, I can't get over the fact you just told me you were on selfie status with people. It's bad. <laughs> you did drop the Walmart genre, so <laughs> but that is, that is awesome. What's What's funny with the uh, with, with with for Amy when people walk up, they'll they'll be like, "Hey, I, whatever," and they won't tell me their name, and I'm like, "What What's your name?" And they get. Now, keep in mind, it's anticlimactic for her because I'll be farting on the couch. She gets to see who I am every day. <laughs> and so then, to take, can you take a photo? And then she's, you know, of course, and I know what she's thinking once she's taking the photo. Like, I just saw you picking your nose a minute ago, and this guy wants a photo <laughs> with you. So for her, it's kind of a joke. But, um, but yeah, are you planning on getting, are you going to try and work in the outdoor industry when you retire? I mean, honestly, outside of the Army, this is that's what I know. I grew up hunting my whole life. I feel like I'm decent at it. I can kill shit. I just want to start killing more shit with a bow. That all comes down to time. But yeah, the outdoor industry, from what I've seen, it's kind of a dog eat dog world, but I got pretty thick skin. So I want to, yeah, guide or. The fact you can kill people quickly will will slow down that shit talking quite a bit. I promise it'll help. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How, uh, How much longer do you have in the military, do you think? That's a tricky question. Uh, the army has their way of trapping you. Uh, so anywhere from four to six to eight years mm-hmm. left. Like I said, if I retire, you know, by the time I'm mid forties, I feel like I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you figure, um, that's right about where I'm at if I would have stayed in. So, you know, and I'm still getting around fine. I figure if, if I can do this till I'm 60, Frank, you'll be 50. Uh, how old are you now? 43. Uh, I'm 31 now. So. Motherfucker. So 12, pretty 12 close. Years, yeah. yeah, I just, uh, I my my buddy uh, Tetra, which Frank met, um, you, yeah, you met him. Steve came in. Um, you know, for, for me, just I was pretty much just a combat engineer for the most part. Um, and I think what, like, what people, I'd be interested to get your take on this, was the Army at all like what you thought before and after? Fuck no. Yeah. So I've <laughs> I've tried to explain it to people when you're in a line unit, whether it be, well, in the case of a, a combat MOS, so 11 or 12 Bravo, um, a lot of the things that you do don't make a lot of sense. Uh, to me, it didn't. There's a lot of shit you do that just is kind of, it's kind of maddening depending upon I was in a light infantry unit. There's a lot of inspections, a lot of things going on that don't seem to pertain to, to you actually going into, to war or training. And so it's kind of weird, which I'm assuming is probably why you went through selections. No, I was, I had a good time in the 82nd. Well, uh, I guess you were in a high speed unit. Yeah. It's all, it's all timing. That's what I tell people. It's timing and command your mission, what you have going and, my glory days in the 82nd was when we were hot and heavy, you know, in both Iraq and Afghanistan. So I got trips, multiple trips to both. And quite frankly, got some good missions while we were over there and got to do exactly what you sign up to do when you sign up for the infantry. And all I wanted to do was climb that corporate chain ladder after working with some of those guys overseas. So I came back from one of the deployments and went and walked and carried some heavy shit through the woods and now here i am today so did when you went through did you go with selections fairly easy for you yeah because to be honest with you that's what i think i was early 20s so i came back <laughs> and there was about an eight month party gap and then i showed up to selection and passed selection yeah <laughs> was it two or three weeks at that time i know it went back I think it was four, three weeks three because didn't it go 21 to, or 24 days didn't it go back to two for a while and then went back they to constantly three? or 
I can't even get into that. Yeah. It's going back and forth all the time. <laughs> yeah. All I can say, I will say right now is special forces cannot be mass produced. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're trying though, aren't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So explain to the people listening in, um, just because it, it's not fair for, I'm not in it. And so I don't feel comfortable going over it, but as, as far as it goes, I'll start it off. Lance can take away um, four selections. You basically have uh, three weeks. One of those weeks is a team week, and it's it's graded from beginning to end. There is a task condition, and there's no standard. So you, you have a job. But go ahead. Take it away. I guess I'd say there is a standard. Well, yeah, you <laughs> could do your best. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, really, it's just kind of a, uh, how do you say it? gut check gut check for the individual and then yeah the cadre got to see if you have the potential to 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 make what we will turn you into you know when you're on an ODA see if you're going to be a good good fit because an ODA you're you're not talking about it's not a large unit you know you're talking about a smaller team and you have you're responsible for everything that a larger unit is responsible for so more will be asked of you you know you just don't get like a one-lane road to drive down you got a five-lane freeway well and and on that note um i think that um just because i have a lot of friends in the oda teams and seal teams and things like that now and one of them said something to me that made a lot of sense that had been an instructor quite for quite a while and and this goes this could kind of be tailored back to hunting he said I would rather pick a fat guy that gives me everything he has 24-7 and never quits than a dude that has had his whole life handed to him because at a time when when things get rough, that guy may not know how to handle things in comparison to the guy that has struggled his entire life to try and make it. And what we do as instructors is pick out who can make it and who will be the best soldier when the times are the worst. Would you say that that's... That's absolutely true. And then I've I've seen, I'll talk about the psychological aspect because, I mean, I grew up 40, 40 miles outside of the nearest town where I went to high school. And I always thought, you know, it was the country boys that were going to be, you know, the toughest. But I've, I've had the privilege to serve along some of these guys who are straight up inner city kids, grew up gaming, but just had the interest, you know, that had everything handed to them. And some of those guys, like, so I don't know where it is in that gut check, but they have it internally where just quitting's not an option. Yeah. Well, and I that's you think that's genetic? I mean, it could be. I I couldn't tell you. I know um just like uh well, let's take Frank. Frank not to pump your tires up. Frank's one of the more tougher individuals I've met, and I don't mean like fist fighting tough, but just you could depend on Frank to go until he dies, which you almost have, Frank. <laughs> um well, Frank, your dad wasn't in the military right? You weren't raised with a ton of money. You don't have any training. You didn't take martial arts as a kid. He just popped out that way, right? And you've talked about it before. We've talked about it where you become, what do you say, what do you say? Become friends with pain and your life will be a lot easier. That is true. You'll never be alone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, you know, go into the numb area. That's something else you've said, or that dull area in your brain. I think some people are capable of just blocking out really like uncomfortable situations which you're in fucking constantly but um obviously i can go to bed now i get to have a choice but um being in uncomfortable situations and becoming comfortable with those i think a lot of that it it just 
people pop out with that chromosome, whatever the hell it is. I don't know if some people can be trained into. I think some people are just naturally gifted at that. I think it's just half dumbass. That's that what I am. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like like Frank talking about the the marathon and body armor. That's kind of like why I want to do these things, anyways. Is just show people anybody could do it. I ran. It was definitely less than a hundred miles over the course of two months, which anybody who does marathons knows that's not a lot of running. But uh, all, all I know is if I say I'm going to do something, I'm probably going to finish it because one way or another, I can drag my ass across that line. 26.2 miles isn't a whole lot. So um, I was listening to a. Do you listen to Jocko much, Willink? No. I, I started probably two weeks ago. I had a, a couple highlights sent to me um, that just of things he said or whatever because I don't really listen to podcasts. And, you know, t- they're talking about 72-hour fasting. I ain't fucking doing that, by the way. But um, he's like, I always look at it when I get grumpy. Is you can go thirty days and you know without eating. So how bad is seventy two hours? Well, I don't know how many people on name on one hand have gone three days without eating that you know. Yeah, you might know somebody. I know right now I go three hours without eating. I'm pretty fucking hungry. So well, they three don't, days. They don't exist in this country. Yeah, <laughs> we got food around every corner. But you you think about it like truly good. Let's say backpack hunters. Um, they're going to be able to withstand a much higher threshold of pain and, and discomfort than other people. So you take a hunter like, um, I hate to bring up John Dudley. John Dudley kills a ton of stuff. He doesn't do very difficult hunts. He doesn't do backpack hunts. He goes on a lot of hunts. I'm not taking anything away from him. But you compare that to a guy, let's say like, who's a guy, Kip Fowler, mule deer hunter, or or um, who's another dude, South Cox. What you go through on a backpack hunt is going to have a much, much higher amount of pain, discomfort. You're always going to be cold. You always have to find water compared to, you know, driving around in Alberta. It's not overly uncomfortable. Um, you have gotten to a place where you can block out a large amount of pain more than, than most people. Were you always like that? Well, do you see it differently, though? Like, because the hunting is, like, what I'm is, for, is for fun, right? No, it's still, I, I view it almost like work for me. Uh, <laughs> it's still like a mission is kind of how I treat it. So like if Raleigh and I go out, you know, we want to kill something. We normally have like a standard of what we want to kill. We may not always hit it, but we'll probably see a lot of animals in the process. And uh, I so I don't know where it comes from, but Raleigh, Lane and my wife, you know, they're all convinced that I am not having a good time unless I am in pain and <laughs> uncomfortable, which is true because there's there's a lot of hunts, you know, that you can do where you can kill some big animals, but they're easy hunts, and those those mean less to me. Like, I, I want to feel a little bit of pain and a lot of discomfort to feel rewarded. Like, that's what's been ingrained to me Definitely is I need that. that. We should probably bring keep... up... <laughs> We should probably bring up that Lance and uh, Rolly got struck by lightning. Oh, yeah, that is important. Let's talk about that. that did happen. (laughs) You know what it was while you got struck by lightning? Because you were eating my food I hid. (laughs) (laughs) I sent you pictures. (laughs) Oh, shit. What happened with that? Uh, So to start off that trip, my wife sends me a picture as we're driving up the pass of my son missing a tooth, which still to this day, he still looks... He's a perma hillbilly till his adult teeth grow in. <laughs> but I think it was like two or three days after that, you know, we're seeing that was, I think, the first year with the stick bow in my hand. And Raleigh still had a compound, but obviously he's wanting to see me shoot something with the recurve. 
Uh, so I'm cocky again. We're passing up, you know, little raghorn bulls. And this is, again, why I switched to shooting with a recurve because oh, I was tired of becoming the trophy hunter that I was. And with time slowing down, stick bow is not the way to get things done either. A lot of, a lot of mistakes happen. And uh, so we're sitting there. It's hailing like crazy. I've been through tons of lightning storms growing up in Washington State, so never really ran from them. But looking back on it, all that lightning was hanging around the same elevation, so we should have literally just ran down ran down the mountain. We were above tree line, you know, we tucked ourselves down, you know, a few hundred meters below tree line, thinking we were safe then. We were just sitting there bullshitting, and then all of a sudden, we wake up, and I've never had any kinds of PTSD but that is one thing that has happened to me in on the civilian side of my life where when I got hit, I couldn't feel my legs. So I, by this time, there's like three or four inches of hail built up. Well, I go low crawling out from like where we just got hit thinking a mortar had just landed <laughs> on my lap. <laughs> I'm not shitting you because I have a vision of that still to this day of when I was in the 82nd. I watched it happen to a couple kids and, you know, they took off low crawling. So something triggered triggered me where I was like, I was just dragging my hand through the hail, reaching for my rifle. And then all of a sudden it clicked to me that I was a fucking idiot. And I didn't just have a mortar to get dropped on <laughs> my lap. And I didn't have a rifle up there. I had a piece of wood with a string on it. And anyway, I just kept on crawling. And then I realized Raleigh wasn't behind me. So I turned around I start screaming for Raleigh. He gets up all dazed and confused, couldn't even see me, but just walked to the sound of my voice. And we were just trying to figure out what in the hell just happened. And then about the next lightning strike hit, we, we kind of realized then what had happened. And, you know, kind of thank the lucky stars for that one. How long were you sore for a while after? I couldn't feel my leg. I wasn't really sore, but I couldn't feel my leg for almost an hour. I think it just fried that sciatic nerve. Yeah. I posted a picture of it, but... When I got when we got hit, I landed on a rock, so I think it went and they call it an arc strike. I think it went in my back and then came out my foot. My foot looked like my whole foot looked like an electrical burn, and out, out from my shirt you could smell a straight up electrical <laughs> fire. And there's no electrical <laughs> wires in my body, but yeah, it was it was pretty gnarly. Remember, I, remember that movie? Uh, I think it was The Great Outdoors with the guy, and he's like, "How long? How many times you been struck by lightning?" And he's like. Sixty-six times. <laughs> I think it kills most mortal people. Fuck. When you said, and then I think you sent a text like, "I got struck by lightning," and it didn't have really any context to it. And I'm like, well, "Are you fucking dead? Like, what happened? <laughs> like, Jesus?" I but want to let you guys know I was okay. <laughs> I just got struck by lightning. Was all. <laughs> it's a cool story. Well, for people that have tuned in, um, Lance is the guy that came in and rescued Colton. Uh, when we were packing Colton's bull out and you ran into him he was like on his hands and knees yeah he was uh I think he needed some electrolytes at that point <laughs> <laughs> well it's 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 funny and and not to actually I don't mind bashing on Colton because I hate that motherfucker but <laughs> he's a good dude he uh oh yeah he's good great <laughs> the training and everything Colton did extremely well but when we packed that bull out having some common sense so and you can ad lib on this because you're medic but I loaded the the pockets full of protein bars and just was slamming water because we had 175, 80 pounds on us coming out for a, a good distance for quite a ways. And so where people get in trouble, you know, I was pounding water and electrolytes, emergency packets, eating. He didn't really do anything, and he started to hallucinate, basically. That just comes with practice, though. 
yeah well, you ultimately you got to find those limits that your body's going to going to hit and when they're going to hit those limits and you gotta i mean any endurance athlete could talk you through more on this i've just basically through the school hard knocks but uh yeah you gotta you gotta prevent that stuff you know with those electrolytes and with the those carbs and that food you gotta get that stuff in your system otherwise your body's gonna your body's gonna give up yeah and i think i, I ran into you what did i have a mile left half mile yeah it it was um i was not in i i was in pain but i that's the most weight i had carried for that you know distance coming out and uh i think you were pretty cool because you were like hey you can leave your pack and i'll come back and get it and i was like man i'm not a pussy i could make it this last little part although i will say i laid in my underwear under your truck for about 20 minutes after <laughs> i got there it was a little awkward with the hikers coming around but <laughs> that definitely is something that you know people have to to take into consideration coming out with an animal is um, no matter how fit you are, eventually your body will give up. And, and, and I've pushed mine to the point where it doesn't matter how tough you are, you can't stop a cramp. I mean, you know, Matt, you're not going to think your way out or tough your way out of your leg locking up solid. So you got to take preventative measures for that. Yeah. Frank, you got anything to say? Over there? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever, how far, what's the most you push yourself, Frank? What do you mean? Like on a pack out? On anything. I don't know. Physically. I've had some pretty good pack outs, I guess. With Solo and. Would that would you say that was probably the word like the most you've pushed yourself is on a pack out in your thirty two years of life or however many it is? Man, I don't know. I guess so. Have you pushed yourself to where cognitive skills are out the fucking window? Like you can't do addition I and think subtraction? The, probably the hardest thing was just uh trying to get off the mountain when I had that altitude sickness. Yeah. And that wasn't me carrying much weight, just just couldn't breathe. <laughs> where was that at? That was uh two or three seasons ago, opening the night before opening uh, the opener of archery season, I got uh, altitude sickness, high altitude pulmonary you edema. You got pulmonary edema. <laughs> Frank, in if, the... if that's the worst that's ever happened to you, you need to live a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. yeah, no, it was, yeah, that was, was an experience, but. Well, I think, um, well, and Lance, you've pushed your body much more than most. Like, um, just recently, totally off the subject, but the same, I, I had a, a really bad throat, and so I was, um, I was only sleeping like a half an hour a night because I couldn't sleep. And I started after four nights to hallucinate because I literally was not sleeping. It's like ranger school all over again. And, and, and you, well, when you, when you, when you hit sleep deprivation at that level, and, and, and one of the problems I have is I start, I say it's called talking shit. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just half asleep talking about things. And Amy kept going, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I, was I talking? <laughs> And, it, do, it doesn't matter because everything's funny at that point anyway. <laughs> well, and, and and that's what that's what happens. I mean, is is basically you your your cognitive skills go to hell in a handbasket. Now, how many times has that happened to you in the last sixteen years? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have enough digits to count on that. Yeah, so you, I would imagine you know people become you know desensitized, and I, and 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 while you're here, people constantly ask me about Frank and I trying to help them with mental toughness. What would your suggestion be? Because I don't really have much advice. I mean, you got it or you don't, and just go beat yourself up and build it up. That's that's what exactly why my wife hates me. <laughs> <laughs> I want her to experience some of that because she is she's super tough. But I mean, I want one of these. I always threaten her too. Like I'm going to sign her up for some of these like two or three day like treks. You yeah. know, I've never I've done them, of course, in the military, but I've never done them on the civilian side. I just imagine they're a lot nicer. You know, you can wear what you want, pack what you want. Uh, but some of the 
some of my favorite ranger school stories just to like explain it to people is like i've never seen anybody like fall asleep while walking with a heavy ruck on your back <laughs> un until i went to ranger school you know yeah. like you're walking walking along some guy and then he falls into a freaking washout canyon or something because he's just out there droning like everything you're talking about when you're sleep deprived or just straight up just fall asleep standing up while walking because you're so tired and i mean you you add into that food deprivation and, yeah. and water um which obviously it's it's three really bad uh you know three three very key things that you need and and when you hit the the dehydration i'm not a doctor but the electrolytes that the snaps this fire to your brain simple mathematical equations are out the fucking window like you can't you know 16 divided by three whatever 16 divided by four it ain't fucking happening and i've i've try not to ever push myself to full-on stupor mode on a backpack hunt because it's supposed to be fun but I, I would have to say um like on the if i draw that sheep tag next year there's a high possibility that we're going to push ourselves to a point where i've pissed blood before and these are things where people listen in they're like oh my god but you compare that to a career of a guy in the military or like yours you come pretty fucking desensitized to where you're like, oh, you're missing a finger. Just put some duct tape on that. And and uh, so I would imagine it's probably hard for you to find normal friends, isn't it? It absolutely <laughs> is. <laughs> and oh, I don't want to keep mentioning my wife, even though she is awesome. But that bothers her so much because I cannot relate to, you know, most average normal people. And I'm not calling everybody out there average, but... There's just some things you, I like that word desensitize. You get super desensitized to most other people's first world problems that you, in all honesty, I give two shits about most of the time because, I mean, if you want to see a hard life, go, <laughs> go travel across Africa and through some of those villages. Those guys are fucking tough. <laughs> I, Ryan Avery and I were talking about that. I was watching these kids drink out of water. I guarantee any American would die from, and they were drinking straight out of it. No problem. Yeah. And they were going three miles one way to get buckets of water. I can't get my daughter to do the fucking dishes, right? These kids have to go get water in buckets every day. And I'm thinking, okay, if you ask your kid to clean their room, that's a fucking problem in the United States. These kids have to go with buckets to get water every day. And then they're drinking out of shit that I'm like <laughs> – just gagging, looking at it, and that's their daily water. And, I mean, we're pretty, I mean, pretty, uh, we got it pretty good over here. Americans are spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, there's something to be said about that simple life and how much, how much you appreciate the little things when the simple life is all you know. Yeah, definitely. Do you think, um, like, when you, would you ever think when you get out of being of a consultant of some sort or using your, your training, or are you just going to try and stick with I, the outdoor? I want to go as deep and dark into the woods as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> trying I, to convince a wife on Alaska. I'm not sure if she's buying it or not yet. Yeah. Yeah. At, um, yeah you're from Washington originally, right? Yep. What part? Uh, northeast corner. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, the... Um, what you told me that before, because you're trapping and stuff, we were talking about that. You, you've got a, is your brother in the military? Does he still live up there? No, he still lives up there. Yeah. He, uh, he does some drilling. I grew up, basically, Washington's being overran with wolves, and the ranch I grew up on just got interviewed by LA Times on their, their thoughts on the wolf process, because 
they, oh, they've gotten their pee-pee smacked a little bit for handling wolves the old John Wayne fashion way, but uh, it is what it is. It's it's either them or the, the government coming in and wasting millions of dollars to eradicate one pack. They just need to be delist, delisted. Yeah, yeah. We we Harold and, and Frank and I were talking about that on the on the podcast we did before this one, but. So how much, um, I don't know, how much can you go into as far as like, can you, what's your job in the military? Obviously, other than being on an ODA team, can you talk about your your specialties or do you got to leave that out? Mm. So when I first started uh, after selection and after the Q course, I was an 18 Delta, which is a special forces medic. Uh, This last promotion comes time, you know, it's got to happen eventually. was promoted into an operations sergeant so team daddy team sergeant whatever you want to call it so now now what i do is basically manage an oda but i'm still out there training doing everything else but you were you uh is that an 18 bravo then or 18 zulu zulu is what it was yeah you can see how much i remember do um how much of the medic stuff do you actually apply like if frank uh i don't know Needed a tracheotomy? Could you give it to him? I'd take pictures for Instagram. So actually, like, <laughs> given what I've done since I've been in SF, because I've kind of been in some specialty areas, I haven't had to do a whole lot of, uh, you know, like, austere medicine in Africa or Iraq or Afghanistan. But, you know, I've gotten to do some pretty pretty neat procedures and actually – this last trip, I got my first chest tube, and that's after I lost that Delta identifier. I'm still <laughs> still a qualified medic, but still, like, I mean, we do that stuff so much. We get – it's just it's, – it, it becomes second nature to us that I hadn't, I hadn't sunk a chest tube in years. We had a mass casualty situation come in, and I, I sank it just like, a, just like in the – in the Q course, you know, just like, like riding a bike, except mm-hmm. I did it in shorts and flip flops. So <laughs> that was disgusting. I'll never do that again. There was cats running by. <laughs> oh fuck! These are things, Frank. <laughs> it may sound like a shock to you because in the American hospital, it happens on a very you yeah, know surgically sterile, sterile field. Uh, when it happens in Afghanistan, you may be doing it on a cot in a headlamp, you know, with wild cats running by (laughs) (laughs) oh shit well on the medical side of things what do you what would you suggest for guys backpack hunting what are like key things that they should have with them because my med kit sucks fucking balls and people ask me questions all the time i should preface this with i never wanted to be a medic but (laughs) they saw my gt score and demanded me to be a medic so somehow i actually passed what was your gt score 124 that's fucking good frank how good did you do in high school Oh, I was a shit student in high school. No shit, huh? Oh, oh damn. I actually went to an alternative school, so my senior year, I only had to go to school two days a week. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the time, I was cutting firewood with my buddy for beer money. Uh, see, that's what's important in life. So people knowing that you didn't want to be a medic, if we were heading out right now on a 10-day backpack hunt... I could, what, I could still be you, your medic. What would you... Uh, <laughs> What would you put in your kit for your for your med, for your med kit? So the only thing I carry with me, and it's because I would feel like shit if something did happen out there and I didn't do something. There's for somebody. There's a lot of sticks and rags medicine you can do, but I like you know like a small tourniquet, and you can turn most things into a tourniquet. Maybe someday I think I've talked with you before. We could do some videos on it just to enlighten people on the subject. I I gotta interrupt for a sec. So when Levi cut his leg. 
those dumb fucks put a tourniquet on him, he about lost his leg. Uh, he may not have needed it. You don't always need a tourniquet well, <laughs> if you cut yourself. <laughs> this is, he was he cut himself bad, bad. Yeah. Like what but, was it on his calf or something? Yeah, and uh, they didn't know what to do, so they ended up doing in here on a podcast, and they said they put a tourniquet on him, and I was like, "You did what?" And thank God they didn't know they're too fu- they weren't fucking smart enough to do it right, so he was getting blood flow through because they didn't know because he said dude my foot hurts so bad and then it stopped hurting and i was like yeah that's the bad point dude that means you have nothing left and so anyway go ahead maybe (laughs) maybe we'll cover pressure dressings first then (laughs) so there's pressure dressings and that before you get to the tourniquet unless the tourniquet's needed obviously uh you could do a chest seal one thing i worry about is uh depending on where you're hunting I do see squirrels a lot. Am I allowed to chase squirrels here? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So I took my son out pronghorn hunting this year, and I almost felt guilty about it because I felt like the unit we were hunting in, opening day of pronghorn season, was more dangerous than a bad day in Afghanistan. <laughs> it is the most piss-poor <laughs> conservation I've ever seen in my entire life. Every pronghorn we saw that day was just sitting there, just dodging vehicles, mouth wide open, just panting for breath and it was what these guys do is they just leapfrog vehicles as they sling lead at these things that they're never going to hit anyway we all know how fast these pronghorn run out there on the plains i couldn't fucking believe it but anyway so that leads me into like you know stray bullet and it doesn't it's not always going to come from a bullet you know you roll down a cliff and get a freaking stick through your side or something you know chest seal is going to be pretty handy can't you do a chest seal though if you had a Ziploc bag and improvise? Yeah, you could be pretty. You could make a pretty rudimentary uh, chest seal if you wanted to do something like that. What would? This is a totally different podcast, but we've got a little bit of time. What would you have actually in your kit though? Like when you say a chest seal, can somebody go down to Walgreens and buy a chest seal? Like what would you put in your your little ditty bag of med kit stuff? Looking at this, I don't know. I got access to everything. So, well, Frank, what do you have in yours? Not any of the shit he's talking about. That's what I mean. So, I have uh, a few bandages, some uh, duct tape, some super glue, and some Vicodins. I've got about the same thing Oxycontin, Vicodin, migraine pills. I got a little bit of Benadryl. That's mostly to make me sleep. Leukotape, duct tape. Uh, I got some combat gauze and. yeah, that's it. Would you say that that is a piss poor med kit? I mean, it's a start uh, <laughs> for me. And you guys are a lot like me in this regard, I think, is uh, you could generally feel like you'll walk anything off. Like, I've been hurt a few times, but most of the time I, I can just shrug it off and, you know, continue, continue mish, but if you will. But <laughs> some people, they do need to be babied a little bit once they get hurt and they see that blood, you know, they want a Band-Aid. I've never been one to hand out Band-Aids. I'll dress you up like a man and throw some gauze on there with some electrical tape, you know, but I don't, I sure as hell never carried Band-Aids in my aid bag unless there was, you know, I was going to be seeing kids or something. (laughs) So with the way that I look at it, and I'm only saying this so you can make fun or whatever, is I can make a tourniquet out of just about anything, which would be the number one issue with Taito knives or Havlon surgical, you know, blades is, you're gonna. You could cut yourself, and if you hit an artery, I don't have, um, you know, hemostats or anything to clamp. So you're fucked. You're gonna probably lose that leg, and if life light doesn't get there too quick, you're gonna die. And nothing in my, I don't have the brain power to fix that. So 
the tourniquet is the best option I've gotten. I can build that out of bootlaces, right? I can make it out of whatever. Um, the 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 duct tape and super glue is is just for cuts and super glue it and then duct tape over it. Other than that, I don't really have the ability. If somebody hurt themselves bad enough, I'm gonna have to hit the button because I don't have the brain power behind it. And that's all you got to do is those life saving interventions. Everything else, they're not gonna die from it. It's just gonna be painful for a little bit. So I have had four people have heat stroke. So with heat stroke, which is a real live worry. I was always just taught to treat for shock, try to get them cooled down, give them small sips of water, auto get them, you know, elevate their feet and get them comfortable. What do you do for heat stroke? I mean, that's the only thing I know how to do. So, Especially when you're back there in the back country, <laughs> go toss them in a creek somewhere. So the the one kid I did that and somebody told me that was the wrong thing to do because they can go into shock from being cooled down too much. That's the only guy that ever told me that, but he was a doctor. I packed the one guy who was a hiker over to a creek and basically just gave him a baptism, stood in the creek and dunked him. I'd get him cooled off, dunked him, and I got him on shore, treated him for shock. That was it. Is that the wrong thing to do? Not that I'm tracking. <laughs> so some of these doctors that I've worked with too over my career, they're shocked at they're used to operating, you know, on that sterile field in a hospital where everything is right there and everything's plugged in. They got monitors that beep at them. That some of these guys they don't understand when you're out there on the battlefield like you don't have that shit yeah so there is going to be some mud in that wound <laughs> when, when you go to package him up yeah and it's that doctor's job when he flies to a hospital to clean it out and put those antibiotics on board so he doesn't get an infection and die from that or lose a limb from that like you, you can only do so much when you're out there in the field so what uh, what would you say the key things people would need to know as far as uh, um, you know heading into the backcountry? What do you think are the top three things they would need to know as far as uh, you know on the medical side of things? <laughs> Tough one. Uh, I mean, what I want to say is kind of same word. Just you know, say it, man. Gr- grow grow some mental toughness. Not most things are not going to kill you. I will say that, and then just your life salt life saving interventions for the military you know it's life limb or eyesight so if if you can take care of those things or get that person evacuated saving those things like the the guy's going to have the person's going to have a good quality of life afterwards so would you say um let's say in colorado for guys that get altitude sickness not pulmonary edema but the initial altitude sickness what are the certain things that um you know, and, and answer it not the textbook definition, what you would tell a guy that's hiking in, what's he need to do beforehand, during, and if he gets it, what are the things that he should focus on the most? So I've learned some shit about, like, the preventative meds of that or, damn, the the dick pills. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I've been told that a long time. The problem is, is you got to walk around with an erection, but, yeah, Viagra is huge for... for that's for, honestly, I, I don't know a whole lot about the... Uh, high altitude stuff just because i've never other than learning it in a classroom i've never had to deal with it obviously i just know you know you you got to get those guys back down drop altitude yeah and then that's I'm, always pre- the thing that's harped on the most prehydration and, and electrolytes are are fairly key i would imagine um frank you're not prone to altitude sickness as much as pulmonary edema which i kind of segregate meaning if you drink water, you don't get headaches. You don't drink water, you generally get headaches. 
but you don't get the splitting headache for days on end where you got to cut your head off to make it go away or drop altitude. Yeah, not usually, I don't think. But there are guys that do get full-on, for days on end, headaches that can't go away unless they drop altitude. I've never been prone to that. But I would say with Frank and I, if we just drink water and you know slam emergency and electrolytes, I generally don't ever get a headache. Um, maybe it's a little bit short of breath. What altitude? Were you on the valley floors over there, or were you up pretty high? Uh, we were pretty low. Yeah. I, what's the highest altitude you've been here in Colorado? I don't know, one of these 14ers. Yeah, I mean, one of the ones here, yeah. Do, do you get altitude sickness much, headaches at all? No. Never prone to it? Nothing's ever – I've never even really noticed a difference unless, you know, I get too bulky just from lifting too much and not running enough coming back from these deployments because, you know, anywhere I've gone to Africa, Iraq, or Afghanistan, you know, and then you're jumping back here to – well, we're stationed right around 6,000 feet, and then – I've been pretty lucky getting back before the hunting season start, hitting the mountains, the high altitudes. Like, I don't, I don't generally get it, but I, I normally do a lot of, uh, you know, circuit type training, trying to keep that VO2 max up. I don't know how much that correlates, but it must do something because <laughs> I just try not to feel the altitude too much. Yeah, Frank, what are you thinking? What is it? Yeah, what's your normal fitness routine usually? I mean, lately. Well, the last three months of my life, I've been living in a cast. So, literally, all I've been doing is running. But uh, yeah, the circuit training. I'm a big fan of kettlebells, mainly because I can pack those. You know, on these deployments, they don't take up any space, and you can get a lot done with them. Kettlebell snatch is probably my favorite exercise. You said snatch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you do a lot just high intensity then? I do. I think someday it may kill me. I'm not sure. <laughs> Some days it feels like it's going to. We we talked about this beforehand, but you started doing CrossFit right before, or a little ways before season. I would have never guessed. And it noticed, there was a noticeable, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, that I noticed a noticeable difference in your fitness level hiking um, where that had to have helped some. I mean, I know I bulked up some, but even still, you were a better fitness level than I'd seen you before from doing CrossFit. Yeah, I think I think a combination of some high intensity type stuff along with like hiking and running was what worked best for me because I was also hiking a few days a week. I haven't been hiking probably in the last two, three months. So I just can't believe you didn't come out and say it outright. What? <laughs> I didn't know you were a crossfitter. That's like the I don't ever, joke. I never talk about it. Oh, shit. No, we make jokes about it. But I will say there was a, you know, an increase in your performance um, on the side of the mountain. But the, the thing that, um, like, what I've been trying to do at the house, you know, myself is like a 45 pound weight, um, you know, kind of not commando crawling, but whatever you want to call that walking across, sliding it, walking across, sliding it. And then I'll grab like, um, we got a medicine ball, flipping it over the shoulder back and forth. I do that for 15 minutes. I am a fat fuck. I am breathing so hard going back and forth between those two things. And the biggest thing I notice is at 10,000 feet, it's a, it's a, it's a enormous difference from doing that at 6,000 feet. Like, I start to get copper feeling in my lungs and I never felt that before. I have to remind myself as I'm beating myself up that I that I am at a higher, you know, altitude compared to six. And when we were in Alaska, it was kind of a joke. Like, did you even get winded? No. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, so when you go to lower areas, do you really notice you're quite a bit ahead of anyone else the, on fitness? No, the runtimes definitely go down. 
But, <laughs> yeah, when I travel, it's, a, it's with a bunch of other studs as well, you know, so yeah. they're all the same way. Like when they go down in elevation, they're also improving. Yeah. So really our numbers just go up is all. But yeah. that's where for you doing it at 10,000 feet, that's where uh, ignorance is bliss sort of thing. Yeah. So <laughs> if you just block that out that you're at 10,000 feet doing it and then you come back down, you know, to normal elevation where with civilization in it and you just crush souls because you're doing this at 10,000 feet, you know, just don't think about that. Don't let that be your excuse as to why you're winded. I tell you what, I was telling, uh, cause Amy's starting to get back into it too. So we got snowshoes and she wants to do this like two mile loop timed. And I'm thinking, you know, if I just keep, you know, hitting it, especially if I draw that sheep tag and just keep going crazy at 10,000 feet and she, cause she want to do the fire road. And I'm like, look, I want to stay up here. I don't want to train lower as much because you've seen the hill I live on. You drop it's it's a fucking climb to the house, and trying to like you say block out that it's at ten thousand feet and just use it for the greater good of my fitness level. Because when I got back from Texas, the first time we had sex, it was pretty fucking depressing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking, Jesus, what happened to me? But that altitude is just it's a game changer. But well, Lance, is there anything else you want to hit on? Not really. I was surprised you guys kept me talking for that long. <laughs> <laughs> you did good, man. Go over uh, just one more touch up on where they can, uh, that, that text message and everything else. So the text code is OG20 to 41444. And like I said, even if you don't, you may not think a dollar counts, but a dollar adds up, especially when there's enough people hearing about it. Definitely. So I would appreciate anybody listening so we generally average, um, you know, anywhere between twenty and 30,000 downloads. Everybody better donate a dollar, please. Um, that would be huge. We would really appreciate it. And it's going to the best of causes. So, well, Lance, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate everything due for, the, for this country and uh, for what you're doing as far as for fallen soldiers, man. It means a lot. I appreciate you guys having me on and allowing me to use your platform. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm just willing to torture my body to <laughs> yeah, good luck on, for a good cause. Good luck on shredding the gnar with the skiing. Frank, yeah. Frank, I'll get you out there next year, maybe. What's uh, that? The ski thing? Th this backcountry stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm learning how to ski, so can you. Yeah. I, I tried to ski. My friends wouldn't let me. They're like, you can't fucking ski, man. You got a board. I'm like, I don't. I have a board, too, and I listed all that shit for sale because <laughs> I'm already like $3,000 into gearing up for this thing. Well, the nice thing about the clothing that we have is it's all on tier with the or on on point with all the uh, the ski gear, if not better. So I don't have to get any clothes. He's going down yeah. the mountain straight up, sick for it. He's wearing. Sitka. I'm wearing that sick of blizzard <laughs> blizzard puffy, and it's fucking awesome, dude. It is. It's great. That's a fucking six seven hundred dollar jacket. I always know how to spot the rednecks on the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I was at Monarch last weekend, saw some dude in first light, and I was wearing Sitka, and we're like. Uh, <laughs> Yo, you hunt? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that that's that's that is funny. Um, as far as that, because there's, I mean, the, the high end hunting clothing is the same as mountaineering yeah. clothing or skiing clothing. So, yeah. well, cool. All right, everybody, appreciate you tuning in. Definitely donate some money. And uh, well, Lance, hopefully we'll get to hunt together soon. If not, stay alive. Doesn't sound like you're deploying for a while, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm happy about it. All right, <laughs> thanks, man.